Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from the International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today, we are speaking with my crisis group colleague, Omar Mahmoud, about whether now is the time to begin exploring political talks with al-Shabaab in Somalia, and what obstacles and dilemmas would need to be tackled first. Omar will also discuss some of the feedback to crisis group's recent proposal for exploring such engagement. Omar, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Alan. Happy to be here. So the reason we're bringing you on is that Crisis Group have very recently put out a report of which you've been the the lead author. And this is a report that specifically looks at the possibility of engaging politically with al-Shabaab and eventually towards political talks. I really recommend listeners check it out for the nuance that we and you um, tackle this issue. First of all, I'm wondering if you can just summarize what our argument is and specifically are we arguing for immediate talks with al-Shabaab? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, our argument is essentially that we don't see a military solution to the conflict in Somalia, and that even if you look beyond Somalia, the vast majority of conflicts are resolved at some point, you know, through, through a political settlement of sorts. What we argue is that even if the timing isn't exactly right. There are steps that the Somali government and maybe some of its partners can be working towards to basically lay the groundwork for an eventual peace process. So this is an argument, I think, for, you know, how to explore getting to talks eventually might be one way to to describe it. I want to dig a bit more into, first of all, what is the case against the current muddle through status quo strategy, you know, which is essentially military action against al-Shabaab combined with political support to Mogadishu. What's the limitations there with that? You know, I think a lot of people are kind of asking us this this question, how we come to the conclusion that uh, a military solution is is likely not in the cards. You know, it's, it's not to say in theory, you know, that that might not be possible, uh, but a lot would have to go right. And I think it would require much longer term time horizon than, than currently is being entertained meaning that the conflict goes on for quite some time. You know, rather, I, I think we've looked at some of the practical realities. You know, on, on the Somali government's side, uh, they've obviously made progress. You know, they're in a stronger position today than they were 10 years ago. But they've also shown their limitations and, and seemingly are constantly impacted by some political dysfunction. And we also have a bit of an X factor now that the African Union peacekeeping mission there, uh, ATMIS, is basically transitioning over the next couple of years. It's, it's supposed to, by the end of 2024, transition to uh, complete Somali security force responsibility. And so that's a key X factor. You know, on al-Shabaab's side, I think we see a couple of things. You know, first of all, they make adjustments that constantly keep them one step ahead of, of their adversaries. And, and this has been a, a process throughout their evolution that they've kind of constantly changed uh, how they've operated to the point where right now they don't even actually have to physically control territory in order to project influence into some of the government-held areas. You know, part of this is they have an organizational coherence that I think is, is not matched on the Somali government side. And, and that's where we talk about some of the political dysfunction. Some of the adjustments al-Shabaab's made has embedded them more in Somali society. And while, you know, I'd argue that they're not certainly a popular group, they do provide some services that, that have popular appeal and give them a degree of staying power as well. And, and so you look at those two factors on both the government and al-Shabaab side. But I think there's a third factor here that's important to mention as well. And it's that a high watermark of international engagement in Somalia is likely over. 
you know, there's been a strong degree of, of frustration and fatigue in recent years. You know, I think it's more frustration than, than fatigue, meaning that if international partners saw greater progress in, in their investments in Somalia, then that fatigue element wouldn't be as strong. Uh, but I do think they are frustrated on one side. Uh, but on the other side, you know, there's just a range of competing priorities right now. Um, obviously, what's happening with the Ukraine war in Europe, but even if you look at the within the Horn of Africa, you know, there's a number of other priorities. And, you know, I think there's one example I kind of point to here that just really illustrates this. If you look at the support the EU was providing to Amazon from, say, 2019 to, to 16, for example, they did this through a particular budget, you know, the African Peace Facility. Each year, Amazon took up, you know, the vast majority of that budget. And I don't think we can expect, you know, such a similar concentration to, to emerge once again. You know, I think that's a, a signal of how competing priorities and, and maybe donor frustration has kind of changed the nature of support to Somalia. And so I think when you add up all of these, it's hard to see how, you know, Al-Shabaab would be defeated militarily. Certainly the balance could be altered, uh, especially with, with more concerted federal government action against it. But conclusively bringing the war to an end, I think, is very difficult to envision. So there's a lot here to tackle and, and obstacles to talk about and potential outcomes. First of all, what have been the previous attempts at engaging al-Shabaab in various forms? Um, and, and what have we learned from those? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, one thing we should point out is, you know, engaging al-Shabaab is not necessarily a completely new dynamic. You know, there have been attempts to do this in the past. But what we would argue is, you know, there was a very serious attempt in 2009 under uh, President Sheikh Sharif Ahmed at the time. And, you know, the context was, was quite different than, you know, the, the Islamic Courts Union, which, which had taken control of, of um, much of Mogadishu and other parts of Somalia in 2006, had been dislodged by an Ethiopian invasion. But there was a negotiation in Djibouti where, where uh, Sharif Ahmed, who, who was the president of, of the Islamic Courts Union, came into government at that time. And so there was this push then to extend that reconciliation to other uh, Islamist actors, you know, al-Shabaab being one of them. And, and so there was a pretty serious uh, attempt at that time. You know, al-Shabaab basically rejected these efforts. You know, I don't think they were interested in negotiating at that time. They really showed very little interest in, in altering sort of their views um, as, as well. You know, and, and in some ways, you know, I think one interlocutor put it, al-Shabaab basically wanted the federal government to surrender to them. And, and so obviously those, those uh, negotiations didn't work. You had, after Sharif Ahmed, uh, President um, Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud, who's, who's the president once again. And I think the approach under him was more of a, let's pull out people from the movement and then hopefully they bring some of their supporters with them and, and we'll weaken the movement that way. And there were some big successes. You know, you had some very significant uh, commanders or leaders kind of come out of al-Shabaab at the time. Uh, but, you know, what we would argue is in, in the long run, that did little to really affect the wider trajectory of the conflict. You know, rather, al-Shabaab basically um, was able to kind of restock and replace those leaders um, and, and kind of continue doing what, what it's doing. And so that was a, a bit of a more of a defection based approach. And it, it basically pulled out people who might have already had some issues with the leadership or already kind of were on shaky grounds rather than going uh, further than that. You know, the next administration under um, Farmajo, Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed, um, President Farmajo, basically 
also had a little bit of engagement with Shabab. Um, but I think, you know, there was a, a politicized element to this. This was very secretive. It was done under the intelligence uh, services, which do play a role in terms of conducting outreach to the organization and, and whatnot. But they were also taking a, a lead role in kind of the negotiation aspect. And so it wasn't always fully clear what was going on. You know, I think the, the political dynamics were very tense at the time. So there was a lot of accusations that this was really being done more for politicized purposes, you know, potentially with the idea of securing some sort of agreement and pushing back, you know, elections or, or something around that, that period. So I don't think there was a lot of success uh, moving on with, with that initiative, but I think there was also some issues in terms of its politicization. And, and so, so we have, you know, kind of different approaches through the years, you know, at times international actors have also been involved in efforts to engage the group. You know, a lot of these have also kind of been more of the defection model or kind of hasn't always been clear even to them who they're talking to within the movement as, as well. And, and so we have this history, but I think what we would argue is that, you know, Al-Shabaab Al is certainly not a monolithic organization, but, but it is a centralized one. And for engagement to work, I, I think you have to reach sort of outreach to the top level, the highest levels of the organization, rather than some of the defection-based approaches uh, that we've seen. And another argument uh, we put forward, which I think is an interesting one, is, is that the defection strategy, um, at the end of the day, ends up pulling out uh, some of the more moderate members and perhaps further leaving a, a more radical core over, which is another consequence. So we're arguing for a different approach. I, there, there are many questions, including, you know, the who and the how. Um, so I'm wondering, what should be done now? What, what are we proposing be done now and, and by whom? Yeah. You know, I mean, one thing I, I think I should be clear as well is we're not saying that the Somali government should halt some of its other ongoing efforts to weaken Shabab, you know, whether those military efforts, we, we see some around kind of financing. I mean, th those should and must continue. And, you know, some will say it's kind of contradictory at the, at the time to basically be fighting a group, but also trying to talk to it. Um, but honestly, that's the reality, I think, of most conflict situations in, in the world. If you pause those efforts, you would lose leverage. I think what we're saying is, is rather those can be better integrated with sort of the end state of some sort of political uh, engagement, some sort of political approach rather than, than separate talks. Um, and it's also key to kind of point out, you know, we're talking about eventual uh, negotiations. We're not talking about the surrender of the federal government right now to, to Al-Shabaab. You know, that really, you know, eventual negotiations requires time and requires, you know, compromises on both sides to work. And, and so what we say should be happening right now is kind of two main streams that I think a, a new federal government can really look into. You know, one is basically conducting some outreach to the highest levels of the movement, basically getting the message across to them to see where they stand on this issue of engagement, uh, because it's been a while since this was tried genuinely, as, as we argue in the paper. The other aspect is basically some smaller, maybe trust or confidence building measures that we think can be enacted that could sort of shift the ground a little bit. And, and again, this isn't pausing kind of other efforts to weaken Shabab, but these are things that could be done that I think can send an important signal. And I'll just maybe give two examples of those. There's some others in, in the report. You know, one is this idea that we've seen in some other conflict situations of a linguistic ceasefire, or basically the point is how you message as a government, how you message about Shabab is important, and basically something that the movement internalizes at times. So if you come out 
and say, you know, you put on your military fatigues and say, we're going to defeat this group in two years, you know, that signals that basically the war is, is absolutely going to continue and that everyone should gear up for that. If you kind of come out and say, look, we're, we're fighting Al-Shabaab, we're on opposite sides of this, uh, but they are a movement that has some grievances and, and some issues, uh, maybe we can sit down and also figure that out as well. Or maybe, you know, rather than just describing them as, as bloodthirsty terrorists, you, you say that they are actors that engage in terrorism, but also have, have some issues. Um, that, that sends a little bit of a signal. You know, another one I'll, I'll point out here, just because I think it's quite incumbent right now, is that, you know, there's a very dire humanitarian situation ongoing in Somalia and other parts of the Horn of Africa as well. You know, multiple rainy seasons have failed. Um, there's a very uh, large drought ongoing with the potential that this could morph into famine in some areas. And of course, you know, large populations live under al-Shabaab control. And the group has also kind of altered how it deals with, with droughts. We had a serious one in 2011, which was disastrous for them as they kind of shut off aid uh, externally. Uh, we had another one in 2017. And, and so here again in 2022, you know, basically I think we're arguing is, is maybe this could be an avenue to establish a bit of a channel with a group uh, in terms of being able to get aid access, in terms of being able to get that to populations in need. You know, obviously, I think there'd have to be some security guarantees and assurances around that, uh, that this wouldn't be exploited for other other prospects. But uh, given, you know, how dire the situation is, you know, perhaps that's a non-political way of establishing a bit of a channel that maybe later on down the road could, could emerge into something else. And who exactly do we think would be best able to sort of do this outreach and potentially facilitate or mediate talks if they need to be mediated? Does it need to be an external player like we saw with the Taliban talks where it was, you know, Doha, obviously, uh, who led that? How should we think about this question in terms of Somalia? So I think we should think about this in terms of being as, as local as, as possible. You know, I think what we're arguing right now, the, these are steps, you know, a Somali government could undertake. I, I don't think you need that external uh, element at this point because it is so in its infancy. You know, we're talking about some some basic outreach, and I think that can be done by by the government. You know, we, we put out a few options there. You know, whether the government kind of um, has a particular individual that they appoint that has the credibility or, or sort of uh, you know the the weight of of the government behind it to find a way to outreach. You know, I think we also talk about. There are some populations in, in Somalia that also maybe have uh, a bit of a good standing or the ability to kind of go on both sides. You know, some of these you could look at, at for example, some some uh, religious sheikhs, especially those who haven't publicly criticized Shabab because uh, Shabab does shut down those ones or wouldn't be interested in talking to those ones. Some some clan elders, especially maybe at the, at the sub-clan level that do interact with the group. And then, of course, the business community as well, uh, given that that's, uh, some of them have business interests and also operate ac across uh, territories, um, but usually, you know, do that based on preserving their neutrality. Uh, but essentially, there are, are groups that, that could make a, a pitch and outreach to Shabab in Somalia. And, and so I don't think you need that external element at this point. Now, if you're talking further down the road, if there's some movement around this, then you might need an external venue to sort of uh, really have have some discussions. And, and then I think you, you have the utility of having uh, external actors provide that venue, maybe even provide uh, mediation or facilitation, depending on, on how it's set up. What we would argue is that rather than having this 
serve as a bilateral initiative of a particular country, you know, whether that's Qatar, which seems interested, or others as well, um, that, that you have more of a, a coalition of countries that are supportive of this process. And I think the United States would be a very big one to get, to get on board for this to succeed. You know, you'd have to do some outreach within the region as well. But the wider point is if you have more of a, a coalition kind of backing this up, then it's not seen as a bilateral initiative, and, and then it probably doesn't matter you know, as much where, where the venue is. Uh, but again, you know, I think those are dynamics further down the road. There has to be some movement locally, and all of that outreach, I think, can be done locally at this point. Hmm. So a few more questions um, to get through some of the obstacles to talks. Would al-Shabaab want talks? And if they ever agreed to talks, is there any reason to think they might be serious about an actual negotiated settlement. What do we know and, and what was the best answers you could glean from your interviews? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really the, the key point. Basically, if you have talks, it takes two to tango. And, and if you have any success, it requires compromise on both sides. And so is Al-Shabaab interested and are they willing to compromise are obviously key questions. You know, I think publicly, it, it's been very difficult throughout uh, the group's history to kind of see a level of interest in this. You know, they, they've kind of shut down the idea of negotiations when it's come up. Uh, but privately, you know, through some of the interviews we've done, whether that's, you know, with government officials, both current and, and outside of government, whether that's with you know diplomats operating in the region and, and also some intelligence officials, uh, you know, they, they've kind of suggested that privately sometimes that door is a little bit more ajar. And, and there was a very interesting uh, statement that came out from the group recently. There was this journalist from, from Channel 4 News that traveled to Al-Shabaab territory and he met with. Mahad Karate, who's a very uh, high-ranking Al-Shabaab official, and he asked him about this idea of, of negotiations or engagement with the government. And, you know, Karate had a lot of caveats about this in terms of, you know, he still said the government is a legitimate actor. Um, you know, he said, you know, we'll see when the time is right. But, but he basically said, you know, that, you know, Sharia allows them to negotiate with those who are legitimate when, when the time is right. And so he didn't rule out the idea completely which is a bit of a departure from previous statements as well. And, and so, you know, it's hard to read too much into that in terms of, you know, how broadly does this resonate across uh, the organization and, and to what degree is he speaking, you know, on behalf of the entire organization. You know, I, I think it'd be hard pressed for him to do that interview without some sort of wider backing. Um, so, so, you know, we might be seeing a shift or, or some, some um, softening within, within the group's position as well. But of course, you know, how they describe the government as an apostate actor and its legitimacy, I think, is, is a key um, hurdle. Uh, if they were to shift, I think that would require a degree of socialization and some preparation on, on their side as well. Now, in terms of, you know, maybe the second question on what al-Shabaab would want and, you know, is there a genuine reason for us to think that they could compromise? You know, I think some matters are, are clear on what al-Shabaab would want. You know, they talk about Sharia implementation in Somalia. And, and here the issue is probably you know, their interpretation of that and, and probably their um, desire that they, they be the ones who are implementing that. Uh, but then, of course, you know, the removal of, of foreign fighters as well. And I would say, you know, on both those points, there is some wider resonance within Somalia. You know, again, on the Sharia question, it comes down to interpretation. Uh, but implementation of Sharia is not a controversial subject in Somalia. Removal of foreign troops is not a controversial subject in Somalia. Now, what they would want beyond that is, is a bit uncertain. You know, the degree to which they can accept not having a monopoly on, on security or governance 
matters, you know, in, in areas they want to control and, and work with others is, is difficult. You know, their track record is not great on this regard. Um, but what I would say is, you know, there, there's a need to sort of engage and, and see what um, movement can be made there. But on top of that, there's a need to also maybe uh, socialize the idea with Shabab that in the long run, you know, uh, engagement makes sense for them as well. Um, and, you know, there's a couple factors, you know, I would, I would say here. You know, the first is that we talk about how difficult it is for the Somali government to emerge militarily victorious in this conflict. But, but I think the same is true on al-Shabaab's side as well, uh, because there are you know, strong domestic centers of opposition to them in Somalia, but there's also a history of intervention in, in Somalia anytime Islamist actors have gotten a significant amount of control. And so having, having you know, al-Shabaab in, in uninterrupted you know, um, dominance uh, throughout you know, at least South Central Somalia, if not beyond, for a long period of time, you know, I think is, is difficult or it should be shown to them will be a difficult prospect as well. Um, and in just a, a few other points, I mean, you can talk about, again, al-Shabaab being an unpopular actor, even if some of its services do have popular appeal. And then for a group that has ambitions to govern Somalia, you know, that's a, that's a very difficult prospect for, for long-term success there as well. You know, I think there is a degree of war weariness on, on the part of Shabaab or some of its members as well. And, and so you can talk about this being an exit strategy to that. You know, we constantly hear about, for example, how concerned some of the leaders are about, about drone strikes and these targetings. Um, so, so if you did come to some sort of agreement, it would remove that. And in sort of maybe the final point I would just make here, you know, there's a bit more detail in, in the report as well. But for Shabab, if it thinks it's in a strong position, it's actually a good time then to kind of test that and, 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 and start uh, a process around engagement. And I think this is where we draw on examples of peace negotiations elsewhere, given that, you know, actors often typically don't want to negotiate when they're in a strong position and because and, they assume full victory is on the way and, and maybe later regret that. And I think that has lessons for both sides, you know, Al-Shabaab and the federal government in this conflict. So the other question that gets asked a lot is whether it is the right time to talk to Al-Shabaab. Um, and of course, as you've stressed many times, we're not actually saying now is the time to talk to al-Shabaab, but we think now is the time to explore that possibility. Will there ever be a right time to talk to al-Shabaab? And again, on this question, how do you propose policymakers think about this question? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the main pushback, you know, that the timing isn't right, um, especially now that you have a new administration back in power. You know, there's, there's a high degree of optimism and raised expectations that always come every time you have a new administration in power. You know, we were just in Mogadishu the last couple of weeks, um, kind of checking in on, on, on things. And, you know, I could see how palpable it was, this degree of optimism. And, and I see how that spills over into other areas. So, you know, for example, some um, actors or some, some interlocutors that we were talking to, you know, a couple months ago might have been very dejected, especially when it came to the struggle against Al-Shabaab. And they're now re-energized and think they can make significant progress. And so I think that's, that's true. You can make progress, but what we argue is resolving the war, you know, is, is not something we see that will be done sort of militarily. And so when it comes to the timing question, you know, I, I agree that there's no right time to begin outreach. And outreach is a very difficult thing. It's a nonlinear thing. There will be up and downs, uh, but it takes a very long time. You know, I think we're thinking in you know, a, a long-term perspective, you know, beyond even just 
this current administration. And, and unfortunately, when it comes to Somalia, we're often talking about very short-term time horizons. You know, we're talking a couple of years, we're talking, you know, programs that last two, three years. Um, and, and so that makes it difficult. But what we would argue is to initiate some of the groundwork around this, because even if all of a sudden the timing is right, you don't just jump immediately into engagement. I think it's, it's better if you have um, some background around that. And, and so that's what we argue, basically. So to continue both of those approaches, um, and you know, maybe when the timing is more opportune, then you're more easily able to, to move into the engagement phase. And, and there's another reason you know, we say this is because there is a lot of socialization that would have to take place because this idea is so controversial and you know, there are a lot of actors that would be opposed, you know, both internally, but also you know, externally, you know, within the region, for example, Somalia's neighbors, Ethiopia and Kenya aren't very supportive of this. And, and so I think there's a degree of groundwork that needs to be laid um, towards that, but also you know, at, at a community level within Somalia. Um, you know, there's a risk that you know, we see a lot of peacemaking endeavors in, in Somalia basically being captured by elites. And, and you get this, um, you know, very elite driven bargain or, or pact, you know, they kind of divide up positions between them and you call it a sort of a peace deal. And it doesn't resonate much on, on the community level and, and whatnot. And so I think there's also an important, you know, factor to kind of watch out for, for that element and, and think about how, you know, uh, community Factors can be more broadly integrated into some sort of wider approach. And again, that takes more time as well. And, and so that's kind of where we, we caution around this, that this is a very long-term dynamic. But because it's long-term, maybe we should start thinking about laying some of the, some of the groundwork now. So we've talked about how Al-Shabaab might respond to outreach towards talks. I want to run through some of the other actors involved, which you've mentioned all of them, I think, but to dive just a bit deeper. First of all, what do you think the Somali sort of public opinion, if you will, would be uh, towards the strategy you're proposing? And specifically, um, what does the new administration uh, think of this idea? You know, there's a lot of diversity within um, Somali public opinion about this. And, you know, I do think there's a wide degree of, of support for finding a resolution of this conflict. You know, the, this has gone on for 15, 16 years right now. It's been quite devastating, uh, you know, really is holding Somalia back in, in a lot of ways. And so there is wider support for finding a resolution of that. Now, if you come to the idea of, of talks as a way to do that, I think there's still support, but maybe that support diminishes a little bit. Uh, but it's not to say that it's alien or not completely, you know, um, sort of unpalatable idea, you know, throughout uh, Somalia. We did a lot of interviews for this report, and almost everyone was saying, you know, eventually this ends at the table. And so I, I think there's areas to draw on there. Of course, this would be quite complex in terms of a couple different factors. I mean, you have strong religious diversity in Somalia. You have uh, clan politics, which kind of intersects with every sort of peace process or any sort of uh, other political process. And you have uh, Somalia as, as a federal system, you know, where you have basically um, five or six member states within that federation that also have very different opinions. You know, we talked to all of them during the course of this research, and they kind of have different views on, on the way forward. You know, I think basically those who are most affected by Shabab's violence on a daily basis would be those most interested in finding some sort of settlement while, while those who are least affected think you can kind of continue the, the course. And so dealing with all of those layers would be quite complex as well. Um, but it's not to say that uh, that there is a, a 
degree of support, uh, especially within civil society. I think we see this question being asked, you know, more and more if there's alternatives to the current approach, the current military dominated approach, because it hasn't really paid off. Um, in terms of the current government, you know, I think they haven't really come out officially with, with their position, whatnot, you know, from some of the discussions we've had. I think they see this in terms of more, you know, let's put this on, on the shelf for the moment. Let's let's reorganize. Let's refocus. Let's um, reconcile a little, little bit politically. Let's uh, reform the security apparatus a little bit and make a new push. And then we'll come back to that sort of engagement um, idea. So, so it's basically continue the course, but let's do it a little bit better. And you know our argument again is is that should be happening as well, but I think you can also be um, laying some of the steps um, concurrently. Now you went on a brief tour of some uh, Western capitals in particular. Um, I'm wondering what the reaction to this idea was in in major Western capitals, um, and particularly in Washington. Um, and something we haven't talked about much, which is Al Shabaab's affiliation with Al Qaeda as the East Africa affiliate. You know, how much does that question sort of matter in, in this regard? In terms of discussions with internationals, I think you get a, a diversity of opinions, of course, as well. Uh, but there is, you know, a higher degree of questioning of the, of the current path and the military dominated approach. And so I think you're starting to see that question pop up in, in most you know, uh, Western actors or other actors that that have investments in Somalia or that haven't been involved over the past you know, 10 to 15 years. And so it's not to say that there's been any dramatic shifts in, in opinion, but I think this question is coming up a little bit more. And they're kind of wondering about alternative approaches, um, but not you know, still a little skeptical or a healthy skepticism in terms of this idea. And, and so starting to think through it, but not fully um, embracing it just just yet. Um, and then, of course, you know, part of the challenge is, you know, what what is Shabab? Is it a Somali group and, and very locally focused? Um, or is it, you know, uh, an international actor that's part of Al-Qaeda that operates throughout East Africa or, or has ambitions beyond Somalia's borders? You know, depending on how you analyze and define the group that has differences of opinions in terms of what you think the, the approach should be. And, and of course, you know, Al-Shabaab is an Al-Qaeda affiliate and it does operate out of Somalia's borders. And so that is a key challenge. Um, but I think what we kind of say there is that, you know, there's a couple frames in which Shabaab operates. It, it does operate as a South Central Somalia organization. It does operate as an East Africa affiliate of Al-Qaeda and does some recruitment throughout the region as well. But the the strongest locus of the group is clearly the South Central Somalia dynamic. And we see the ties from Al-Qaeda, but we don't see, you know, a very significant way in terms of that impacting the group, um, you know, its, its ability to generate financing, you know, all of that is kind of done locally. And so I think those are challenges. But what we say is, is those could be challenges maybe to explore through engagement with the group rather than uh, precluding it, you know, rather than being preconditions. Because I think if you set those preconditions, then you never get to really the, the table dynamic. And so it's, it's again, you know, we're in the realm of speculation without testing it a little bit. But clearly, though, those are significant challenges and, and significant challenges to the region as well. And in, to get them on board, you, you wouldn't be able to without addressing that. 
And then you mentioned uh, Somalia's regional neighbors, Kenya and Ethiopia in particular. They are dead set against that idea, at least at the moment. It is probably the source of of greatest opposition uh, to this proposal. First of all, I'm just wondering if you can explain why, if you can explain the position from, from their point of view, and then how much does that pose a hurdle to what we are proposing? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I do think Somalia's neighbors are very concerned about this idea because of their sort of security interests. You know, you know, we should remember, you know, Ethiopia twice, essentially, over the past 15 years, and then Kenya, then as well, once over the past, you know, decade, has intervened in, in Somalia, basically, to push back, you know, Shabab, essentially. Um, you know, they see it as a group that is aligned with Al-Qaeda, and so represents a very dangerous ideology. They see it as a group that has ambitions outside of Somalia's borders. So, you know, when you talk about greater Somalia, that includes the northern part of Kenya, that includes, you know, the, the um, eastern part, the Algadin region of Ethiopia. And so that's always been a concern. You know, we should point out not just from Shabab itself, but, you know, this greater Somalia ideology has always been an issue for Somalia's neighbors, basically, you know, since, since decolonization. But, it, but it's, a, it's a, a mantle that Shabab's taking up as well. And, and so I think, you know, that represents a, a threat for them. Of course, Al-Shabaab has attacks uh, within these countries, particularly in Kenya, you know, some very significant attacks in, in Nairobi. You know, we all remember the uh, 2013 siege of Westgate, for example. And, and so these countries have also been affected by Shabaab violence. And so they have very serious security concerns. And those are very understandable concerns. And, and so, so I think, you know, that's an, an issue that would have to be addressed. They would have to be consulted. You know, they'd have to have some security assurances for them even to kind of think about being able to, to get behind this idea. And, and I think it would be very difficult to move ahead without having the region on board because their ability to undermine it or their ability to be opposed to it uh, is, is quite strong. You know, remember Ethiopia and Kenya both still maintain troops within Somalia. And so rather than, you know, going about this without, you know, regional support, I think it's really important to do that diplomatic work to kind of ask the region, you know, what are your security guarantees uh, that, that are needed? What are your interests at this point? You know, do you see the current approach making progress? Uh, if not, you know, what, what can be done around that? Or what do you kind of want to see, you know, how do you, how do you get to the end state that you want to see, which is, you know, a stable Somalia that doesn't threaten you, you know, and, and if so, is, is this one sort of track around that? But I do think that's going to take a lot of diplomatic work. And again, a reason we, we say maybe that process should, should kind of initiate at this moment. To, to ask a devil's question, um, <laughs> aren't we being naive? Aren't there risks to uh, engaging Al-Shabaab and therefore accidentally bolstering them? Well, there's absolutely risks. And we have a whole section in the report about those risks and mitigating those risks. So this is where we say that we're not completely asking to change the current efforts, you know, the efforts that are out there to weaken Shabab, you know, the military efforts, um, organizing a, a new offensive under a new administration that involves the Somali security sector, that involves the African Union mission, that involves uh, external partners, you know, um, those those types of things. You know, there's also a, a strong concern around Al-Shabaab's financing, for example. The group has basically been able to generate significant amounts of money in recent years, especially as it's, you know, maintained its rural presence, but penetrated into urban areas and generated this almost mafia-like extortion 
uh, racket that, that they've put in place. And so I think, you know, those efforts need to continue. Um, that's one way to sort of mitigate the the risk. You know, if, if you pause those efforts and they're just uh, fully focused on engagement, you lose your leverage. And, and so that's not what we're saying. Rather, what we're saying is that the end state should be seen as one that has a, a you know, political element to it or, or some sort of um, settlement at a, at a table because we don't see a military solution. And so to get to that, then I think you can integrate these pr- processes in, in support of that objective. You know, rather, I think we're, we're you know, pursuing the defeat of an organization or you know, expecting to pound the organization until they kind of sue for peace. And that's been the process for the last 16 years, which has made marginal uh, progress. So yes, there's absolutely risks to it. Um, but in terms of just adding another tool in, in the belt to, to resolve this conflict, uh, rather than kind of pausing other efforts, um, is kind of what we're saying at this moment. Yeah, and of course, is being naive thinking that the current approach is eventually uh, going to work. Um... Okay, finally, Omar, I'll just let you close up. Uh, since this is a episode uh, in which we have already put out the report a few weeks ago, um, what have you found most interesting about the the feedback uh, you've received? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because of the timing of the reports being released, essentially. You know, I think um, this intersects with the Somali political cycle quite strongly and really how dejected maybe everyone was in the midst of this year and a half long struggle to get the parliamentary and then the presidential elections being held. There was, you know, a very strong elite political contest between this uh, to the point that, you know, even last April, uh, we had fighting in Mogadishu, very serious violence in Mogadishu. It looked like even the system was completely on on tatters. And, And so I think there was a lot of more pessimism about Somalia's future at that time. Now, fast forward to today, you, you know, we, we did get to an electoral period. You know, I, I think the parliamentary elections were still very problematic, still very much captured by elites rather than you know, a degree of uh, electoral competition within them. But you had a presidential election which came off res- reasonably smooth. Um, and, and that was accepted by all parties. You had a president basically come back into power. And, and so there's the raised expectations that this is someone who's learned from his previous tenure as well, and, and we'll be able to hit the ground uh, running a bit a bit more strongly. And so I, I think you have uh, some more optimism in terms of the future, and therefore that spills over into maybe approaches around thinking about alternatives uh, within Somalia. And I think that maybe then supports the idea more so that you know we continue with the current approach and we'll worry about other things kind of later and so i think that's been the most interesting sort of feedback you know a lot of pushback in terms of the timing around this uh and, and pushback in terms of um, um questioning the the current approach and some of that i don't think was there strongly maybe even just a couple months ago uh, very interesting. Um, so we'll go ahead and close it there. Thank you again for such an interesting run through on all of these uh, very difficult dilemmas. And uh, thanks <laughs> thanks for squeezing us in in the middle of your field research on, on one of your next pieces for us. Um, and good luck with that. No, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having the chance to, to chat. You know, these are very difficult and, and tricky issues, but part of our idea is also to start a conversation around them. Thanks for listening. Once again, this podcast is a production of the International Crisis Group. You can read this report on Somalia and all our other reports on Crisis Group's website, crisisgroup.org. This podcast is produced by Mae Francis and Ida Holly Nambi.